Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 041. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, could you imagine that God actually gives you the desires that you experience? God may even use them to lead you where he wants you to go. How do we know if that's the case? Well, this week, we'll run our desires through a few checks to see how God might be using them to give us the abundant life he wants for us. Check it out. I may be going out on a really thin limb here, but I'm going to guess that each of us have things in our life that we would want. Desires. Maybe a place that we would like to be able to visit if we had the chance. Maybe a hobby that we'd like to be able to learn about and experience. Desires can make life interesting. They can help us to stop from trying to freeze life in one moment. Like thinking, you know what, my life is perfect in this one instance, so I'm just going to stop right here and live all of eternity in this one second. We know we don't get to do that, no matter how perfect a moment might be. Life kind of fits the adage that you never step into the same river twice. It's always changing, always in flux. But what about when our desires put us into a kind of conflict? To go even one step further... If God has a perfect plan out there for us, and our desires seem to not quite line up with it as best we can, as best we can understand it at least, what do we do with that? Going down even to the most base level, are desires okay? Is it okay to want something? Is it biblical? Well, the good thing is, there's hope for all these kinds of questions. And I think, I truly believe, biblical hope. So we'll see if we can tackle some of that today. Let's pray together. God, thank you for all that you give us, especially right here and right now. Thank you for the gift of your word. Amen. Whether you are a fan of Broadway or not, I'm going to guess that many of you are familiar, at least by name, of productions such as Cats, Phantom of the Opera, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. These and many, many more, some of which I can't even pronounce, All were productions that were put together by a dancer who almost wasn't. So back when she was a child, maybe about Andrew's age, Jillian Lynn could never sit still. By extension, she always underperformed in class, always just had issues. She just was a mover. And so one day her mom took her to the doctor. So, okay, something has got to be wrong. Why can't this child sit still? Why probably a smart child could not do well in school? And the doctor did what doctors do. And a time came when he took the mom outside of the room, outside the doctor's office or whatever, and kind of went off to a window. But before he left the room, he turned the radio on. And they got to the window of the room, just outside, and the doctor told Jillian's mom to look. And Jillian just started dancing. I am about as non-a dancer as Jillian was a dancer, so I won't try and demonstrate here in line. (laughs) You're welcome. The doctor said, your child doesn't have an illness. Your child doesn't have what we would now probably diagnose as ADHD. Your daughter's a dancer. The solution, the fix, send her to dance school. 
And that's what mom did. And one of the greatest choreographers in European history was born, if you will. Hang on to that story while I read today's scripture. This comes out of John 5, verses 2 through 9. Now in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, there was a pool, called in Hebrew Bethsaida, which had five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had been there for a long time, he said to him, and this is the the money verse that we're going to hang on to for this message. Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am making my way, someone always steps down ahead steps down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat, and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Now the expanded version of that story says that on occasion there was an angel that would stir the waters of this pool. And when that happened, the first person, the first sick person to get into that pool, I mean, it was a rat race, got healed. And so that kind of hopefully explains some of this invalid's answer. I have nobody to get me into the pool first. I keep coming in second. Now, here's the question I want to ask. Could Jillian Lynn, as a young girl, maybe Andrew's age, have said to her mom or said to her doctor, I want to be a dancer? Could the invalid had said to Jesus, I want to be cured. Instead of kind of giving the runaround answer that he does. Could we, if given the chance to be asked so clear a question, as a similar example happens, like what I had said to the, to the kids in Mark 10, where Jesus is approached by somebody and he says, as clear as could possibly be, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? Could we answer? It seems like it should be such an easy question, yet it is a question an idea that can catch us like a deer in headlights far more than we would probably admit. Maybe part of it comes out of a very old and a very wrong idea or theology or study of sin that said, basically, if you're talking about a subject, an idea, an action, did you desire it? Did you want it? If so, then it was a sin. Very, very wrong. But it feels sometimes almost Strange, almost wrong to say, I want this. I desire this. And yet I believe through other passages that I'm going to go to, and this one's just kind of starting us off, that desires really are a good thing. God starts off his word with it in Genesis 1, when he says, as he's creating the universe, and he stops every now and then, maybe takes a step back, proverbially speaking, It says, it is good. And then he gets to creating humanity and says, it is very good. Another way of translating that word, tov, it is desirable. It is pleasurable. The very first emotion that is written in the Bible is one of desire. And by God himself. I mean, a related church's statement of faith opens up, speaking of starting things off right, By saying that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
Now, it seems so easy to subscribe to that first part. Glorify God. We get why that would be a, a good thing. But enjoy, just it can feel like a strange word to put into our faith. And yet I firmly believe that God not only desires himself, but gives us desires. Gives us wants. Gives us things that we're motivated to, to do, to see, to grow in. Because those are things that really God can use for the purposes that God has. Here's a bit of an example. I was just kind of confirming this with Deanna about her grandson, Ethan, who spent at least a couple of weeks out in the Dominican Republic earlier in this year. And confirmed that the trip we heard about was his second trip out there. That he had had a previous trip where I'm guessing in some way he started to have a love for these people. And so, out of that love, out of that desire to serve these people, if I can use that kind of language, he ended up becoming a missionary to them. And he ends up fulfilling God's desire to do good work for this people group by fulfilling his own desire. That God gave him, I'm, I'm probably using a little bit of creative license here, but I, I don't think I'm stretching too far, that God gave him that desire for these people. And God was glorified by him stepping into that desire. And serving the Dominican Republic in the way that he did. And the way that he very well may in the future. You know, church planters will often ask this question. As they are going through all the pre-planning that goes into planting a church. And just like buying a house, one of the first things they probably think of, or one of the big things they think of, is location. Where? Where are we going to plant this church that didn't exist before? And you could do study upon study upon study about demographics and all these different kinds of things to say this is the place that we're going to be the most effective, the best spot to plant the church. But if you were planting a church, you know, stretch yourself a little bit, at what point would you feel allowed to ask this question? Where do I want to live? I mean, it seems like a question that is so far removed from from the idea of church planting. What would your desire to live in a certain place have to do with planting a church? It seems that way, but it so makes sense. Because if you desire to live in the country, and you decide, I'm going to plant a church in the country, odds are you're going to do a lot better, aren't you? And that just sort of makes sense. It seems like it should be such an easy question for the invalid who couldn't make it to the pool of Bethesda to say, I want to be healed. Yet it seems so difficult for him. It should seem so easy for us if given the chance to have one wish that Jesus himself could give us. What do you want from me? It seems like we should be able to answer so easily. And yet it seems so hard. It seems so wrong to try and answer that question. Can I bring this into a little bit of a more personal realm? Rachel and I got married when I was halfway through seminary. And Though we didn't really have like a wording around it, we both kind of had this agreement that when I got out, we knew we would eventually want to raise a family, that we wanted to raise a family in a slower community. We didn't want to try and raise a family in the warp speed of a big city. And honestly, I'm still trying to figure out how to do this, <laughs> truly, even nine years later. But I think, but I think, honestly that God either gave me that desire or used that desire that I already had for however it came about 
Because as I was getting closer and closer to graduation, all the churches that were still in the running as far as where I was going to go were at least relatively rural churches. And as, I, as it started to whittle down even further, I remember Rachel and I sitting in one of my professor's offices as I had needed some serious wisdom about this church because I remember we were starting to get into some serious conversations. It was going to be the biggest move of our lives. I mean, we were picking up and moving a whole time zone away, away from everything we had known. And so I remember we were talking to my professor, Dr. Walker Freeberg, and we had probably an hour-long discussion seeking out her wisdom about how to grapple with this decision. And it all boiled down to one question. She said, can you fall in love with these people? To put it into the language that I'm using today, can you desire to work through life with these people? Because if you do desire that, if you can desire that, you know what, all the stuff that you worry about, it's going to sort of fade away. It's not going to matter as much because you're going to be walking to something that you want to do. And I think God used that moment, because I still remember it 10 years later, to give us the peace to come here and to do life with you guys. And unless I have grown some serious spiritual cataracts, none of that has changed, which is a nice thing. Now, how do we take these desires that we have, whether we think God gave them to us or not, whether we think God sort of implanted them in us or or not, you know, that's all sort of stuff we can assume happens sort of behind the curtain. But how do we use that to understand how God might lead us? There's a bit of a difficulty when it comes to desires because it's hard to step back and be objective about it. You know, our desires are our desires. They're things we want. So there's, we're sort of tied up in wanting them to come true or wanting them to happen, and understandably so. So I'm going to give you a couple of checks that can help us have a little bit of objectivity in this that come straight out of this book that, that this whole series is being built on, Whisper, by Mark Batterson. So he's starting this off, and then I'll sort of fill it in with some of my own ideas. So the first check that I'll give you guys, the first check, to check your ego at the door. Of all the desires that God may give us, there are good ways and there are not-so-good ways to sort of see them to fruition. And the fact is, we could desire to do something good, for real. But if it's all about doing it so that we look awesome, or so that we you know, get our face up on the billboards, or you know what, God can put the kibosh on that, even if it's a good thing. If I were to say, I want to write a bestseller that shares the gospel with the world, and I want to have a million copies get sold, but if I really search my heart, it's because I want to see my name on the New York Times bestseller list, that's my ego getting in the way. And God could say, eh, hit the brakes. Now, God may give us those desires later on, or he may fulfill them in another way. Now, God can be really creative about how he does this. But it starts with putting our pride in its proper place. Next check that we can have. If you want it too much, you might want it for the wrong reasons. Or you might not quite be ready for it yet. I'll elaborate on this with an example. Has anybody ever, truly or not, experienced love at first sight? Where you just see somebody and it's like the, the whole world around them just goes away. And all you can see is, and here is like the Alleluia Chorus singing behind this person. Because they are absolutely perfect. No flaws, no 
issues, no nothing. You just see perfection. Now here's my question that comes out of that. Put yourself in even imagining that scenario. In that instance of love at first sight, are you ready to get married to them forever? Let me answer this. Unequivocally, no, you are not. If you think otherwise, I'll see you in my office this week for counseling. When it seems so perfect that we are blind to the, to the faults of the imperfections, we're not ready for that desire to come true. When it seems so perfect, when we want it so much. Now, when we have kind of a realistic view of it, maybe we can see the imperfections and yet we still desire it. Whether it's you know, falling in love with a person or falling in love with an idea, something you want to do. Put in other words, when we stop idolizing it, when we stop wanting it more than we want anything else, then maybe we start to be ready. We start to want it in proper balance so that God can say, okay, I can allow you to have this desire. I can fulfill this desire for you. And it's not going to throw your priorities out of whack. One more check. And maybe it's not a check, but at least something to kind of keep us in balance or to keep us with a bit of objectivity. Whatever desire it is you have, does it wax or wane with time? You know, if you were to want to do something and you sleep on it, as common wisdom often says to do about a a big decision, or spiritually speaking, you fast about it, and that desire grows stronger and stronger, maybe it's a God thing. And if it doesn't and kind of dissipates or or isn't quite as filling you up with with this fire to do it, then maybe it's not so much a God thing. Or maybe it's not God's timing for you to fulfill that desire. Now, that doesn't mean that it's a bad desire or a bad thing. It just means maybe you're not going to sell all your possessions and move to Argentina because you think, hey, this would be a cool thing to do. Well, if you sleep on that and it starts, starts to wane a little bit, it's like, oh, maybe I'll stay stateside for a little while. But it just kind of gives us, let, allows time to give us some objectivity. So that we're not caught up in the emotion of, of that rush of, I want this so bad. But the ultimate desire, and the one that really puts so much into perspective, is this last one. Seek God first. And maybe you even know that camp song, Seek ye first, the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, and all these things shall be given unto you. Alleluia. See, the cool thing about when we hit this one first is that God has this way through the Holy Spirit of taking God's desires and making them ours. So that we are sort of working on the same page as God. To use Ethan as another example, I'm going to stretch the creative license a little bit here. But God said, I want somebody to reach the Dominican Republic. Ethan, you know, I only know him so well, but coming out of the family that he comes from, I'm guessing, says, I want whatever God wants. And God gave him that desire to go to the Dominican Republic. And so God and Ethan are working from the same page, working on the same plan. So that when he goes and does what a missionary does, it's not work to him. It's not a burden. It's a joy. It's something that he would want to do. And hey, you know what? God is being glorified in the process. And so this week, Take some of your desires, whatever they might be, whatever scale they might be, and run them through some of these filters. Just so that there's some way to be able to to step back and take a look objectively at it. 
And when we do that, and we say, yes, this seems like a desire that God's leading me into, then that can help us to experience the abundant life that God desires for us as we fulfill the desires of our hearts. Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. See you next week in the Woodlane Worship Podcast.